Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast, and we're glad to have you here listening to us. Thanks to everybody who's listening. Thanks to everybody who's giving to support the ministry of So We Speak. Uh, We're trying to help bridge that gap between Sunday and Monday. How do you go about your everyday life really thinking and acting and speaking the things that you believe in? Um, this week, we want to do something a little bit different. We got a great suggestion from Sarah Yock and a couple others that we've had some guests on and interviewed them, but we've never interviewed each other. Mm. And so I want to kick off this two-part series by interviewing you. So I've got Terry Fakes here with me, and you've heard his voice on the podcast. Many of you know him, but uh, I want to hear a little bit of your story today. So to kick off, uh, tell tell us a little bit about how you grew up, how did you become a Christian, and uh, then we'll talk maybe about how you got into ministry after that. Okay. Well, uh, some people have heard this if they've heard some of my teaching, but I basically grew up uh, a heathen. In other words, I didn't grow up in church, didn't grow up a Christian. My parents were uh, religious, but not church-going. In other words, there was a Bible, big, one of those massive family Bibles on our coffee table. It didn't get read much, mm-hmm. but and my mom would tell us some Bible stories and things like that. But we were not by any means devout. Uh, I grew up an Air Force brat, so we moved around a lot. And as we did, I remember actually going to church for a few weeks at one place uh, but I don't remember actually ever really going to church anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So my parents were not atheists, but we weren't religious. Right. What, what was it like moving around every couple of years as a kid? Yeah, it was interesting because in those days, the Air Force, would you would move pretty frequently. I moved an average of every two years, but sometimes a little more frequently, sometimes a little less. But in those days, they also didn't uh, respect the school year. In other words, I moved a lot in the middle of school years. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was interesting in this sense. It was good and bad. First of all, it was bad in the sense that I don't have any friends further back than college Hmm. because we all moved around. Right. And I didn't stay. I didn't grow up with anybody in particular. On the flip side, I'm an introvert by nature, but if you move around that much, it's not pleasant, but it teaches you how to make friends. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be a little outgoing. I've, I really remember one story that kind of characterizes this. We were stationed in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which was an interesting place. Talk about, I remember, by the way, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, in the base housing, basically a little apartment complex for two parents, four kids. Yeah, it was it was tiny. But I remember the winds there. And in the winter, we would play in the dunes. And I remember a couple of days that my dad could not get out the front door to go to work. Hmm. He actually went out the upstairs window onto a dune and got wow. down. So we left there, and it was cowboy country. I had my mm-hmm. first pair of cowboy boots in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And we moved to Illinois. And I really remember, and I always hated this, when you went into school and you were the new kid, you came in in the middle of the school year, you would stand at the front of the class and they'd say, hi, everybody, this is Terry. Say hi to Terry. Mm -hmm. Hi, Terry. And I remember standing there in my jeans and cowboy boots, looking around and realizing nobody here wears cowboy boots. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got... Uh, sneakers on, and it made you feel so very different. So there were challenges to that, but I have to say it made me resilient. Mm -hmm. So it was an interesting upbringing. 
So you move around every couple of years. Uh, you had a few siblings. So basically a family unit was who you knew, your friends, different places. Right. Um, would switch out pretty frequently. And then you end up back in your kind of hometown area for high school. Yes. My dad retired from the Air Force. We moved back to where, close to where both my parents were from. A little town in Kentucky, near in central Kentucky. And my dad went to work in a factory. And I did the last two years of high school in a little town of about 5,000 people in Kentucky. I will say this. I don't recommend that, mm-hmm. especially if you're not a Christian. It was just small town, poor America is a tough place to grow up mm-hmm. as a high school kid. But during that time, during my senior year, I started dating a girl that was religious. And so I went, obviously, I went to church with her some because that's what it took to be dating mm-hmm. her. And I started listening to it a little bit. Well, I didn't accept it. Mm-hmm. I decided, you know, I was a, kind of a nerdy kid and I liked to read a lot. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to decide what is going to be my philosophy of life. I mean, even at that age, I realized you kind of need to have some point in life, mm-hmm. some purpose in life, some guiding compass point. And so I began to read. Well, I was uh, a kind of a nerd. So I first thing I read was Immanuel Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. Mm-hmm. And I remember wading through that. It was a little above my head, but the ideas were exhilarating. From there, I went on from philosopher to philosopher. And I remember, and it's really just ironic to me that your area now is philosophy. Mm -hmm. But it was ironic to me that the more I read, the more I realized the old proverb is true. The first person to state their case is very plausible until the one comes to question them. And I thought each one of these is very interesting edifice that they built. Mm -hmm. Interesting, quote, worldview that they've built. But then you read the next philosopher and so is theirs. And then you begin to realize they have no common basis. In other words, they're just all ideas hanging out there. And I thought, well, that's not satisfactory to me. Mm -hmm. So then I went through an Eastern phase and I said, well, let's get away from the whole Western way of thinking. And so I began to read, you know, Sun Tzu and uh, Lao Tzu and I mean, just the whole uh, Eastern religion. And it was very difficult for Western minds, but I began to understand the mysticism of that. I became a practicing Buddhist for a while, uh, Zen Buddhist, Western style. uh, Traditional Buddhism, I don't believe, appeals to Westerners, but Zen Buddhism is almost designed for Westerners. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. It's instant gratification Buddhism. It is, you know, it's great for Americans. So I did that for a while, but at the end of the day, I realized none of these things have an answer that's based on really facts. Mm -hmm. I mean, they may make me feel better, but they're not necessarily true. So I decided, you know, the only really logical thing is to be an agnostic. So I decided I'll be an agnostic. Mm -hmm. And so when I was dating this girl, I was an agnostic. Like you cannot know, you do not know whether there's a God or not. Mm -hmm. So we dated for quite a while. But at one point I remember having this epiphany. I remember thinking to myself, you are such a hypocrite because actually you're not an agnostic. It is logical, but no one actually lives like an agnostic. I realized that there were a lot of things that I took on faith, scientific Mm -hmm. things I took on faith, all kinds of things I believed that I couldn't prove. I remember in my 18-year-old mind having these thoughts, and I thought, you know, this is also hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, fine, I'll read the Bible. 
Mm-hmm. And so that was the last thing I read. Read the Gospel of John and really began to get into it and started to ask questions. And I became persuaded. I know a lot of people become Christians because of their heart or an emotive experience. And I had an emotional engagement, but it started in my brain. And I thought, you know what? This makes more sense than anything else I've, mm-hmm. I've done. And so at that age, I became, uh, became a Christian. That's a really interesting story because that's not probably the path that most people take no, to their not. faith. And, you know, growing up in not a anti-Christian home, but just growing up in a not very religious home, mm-hmm. you know, you would think that you probably knew some things about the Bible growing up. You probably knew, you know, some basics about Christianity. And, you know, we tend to think that in hindsight, everybody through osmosis basically knew the tenets of the Christian faith, but that's mm-hmm. not necessarily true. Yeah, it wasn't for me. I knew things like the world will be destroyed in the end by fire. Uh, Noah built an ark. I had a kind of a potpourri, just mm-hmm. a mishmash of little stories, but no idea of you're saved by grace through faith. Mm-hmm. I, I was not really aware of that. Yeah. That's a great point you make. So let's talk about conversion for a minute. Um, you know, you think conversion, you think revivals, you think mm-hmm. one-on-one evangelism, you think uh, going to church, but you rarely ever think philosophical inquiry that leads to you know, a logical assent to Christian principles. Mm-hmm. And so you think about somebody like C.S. Lewis, for example. There right. are there are Great prominent point. examples of people who came to faith because of knowledge. Um, but the thing that I want to ask you is, as you're reading the Gospel of John, did you have a moment where you knew that something had changed? Mm-hmm. And if so, what was, what was it in your mind that really started to change? What was the domino that began to fall as you were in kind of a season of, of learning about, about Christ? Yeah, that's a great question. I remember actually standing in a church service. I mean, I'd been doing this inquiry. I'd becoming much more convinced that this was reasonable, that in fact, this, that the evidence would indicate this is most likely to be true. And I remember standing in a church service. This was a little church of Christ. So it was a cappella. We were just singing. And by mm-hmm. the way, I still like that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't insist on it, of course, but there's nothing wrong with voices. Mm-hmm. And I loved the singing because you kind of need everybody to sing. Mm-hmm. And we all did sing. Even I sang. I wasn't a Christian, and I kind of enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. We sang parts. We just sort of did. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty. And I remember singing hymns, older hymns. And I remember feeling, uh, I'm not talking about a John Wesley experience of my heart was strangely moved. But what was in my head had eventually seeped into my heart. And I remember feeling an indescribable pull mm-hmm. that says, it's time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not like words, but I felt like, you know, it's time. Mm-hmm. And I remember leaning over to my girlfriend. And there you had to walk an aisle mm-hmm. in front of everybody. And you had to confess in front of everybody. And they all waited to eat lunch while you got baptized. Right. I mean, it's Church yeah. of Christ, right? And so I remember turning to her and saying, I, this is just something I have to do. And I yeah. stepped out and I walked down that aisle. So there was something in my heart that happened, but it started in my head and it seeped into my heart. And it was the hymns. I remember distinctly, it was while we were singing the hymns that it really hit me. Mm-hmm. So you so you walk down the aisle, you give your life to Christ. What is your spiritual status at that point? What does your journey look like from there? Yeah, well, it's a long, convoluted journey, and no sense going into all of that. But at the beginning of it, in any case, I 
uh, Church of Christ is really big on learning the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they gave me a little booklet that says, now that you're a Christian. I, I don't even remember what it is, but it basically lays out some of those very basic Christian beliefs. And I just began studying the Bible because that's what everybody else in the church did. Mm-hmm. They read their Bible regularly. It was sort of like an, I don't even know if it was spoken, but it was mm-hmm. in a, it was like, this is what we do. And it, that taught me something, by the way, later in life, is there's huge power just in community that this is just what we do. Mm-hmm. And so I began doing what everybody else did. I began studying the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, Church of Christ, a lot of emphasis on New Testament, at least in those days. Very little on Old Testament. Big mm-hmm. wall for them between the New and Old Testament. So I pretty much went through the New Testament. I remember having discussions. They didn't have small groups. They didn't have discussion groups. They didn't have men's groups. You know, I didn't have any of that, but I had people I could talk to. And so I really grew in knowledge mm-hmm. very quickly. And I desperately wanted to know more about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I remember that feeling. In fact, I still have that feeling. I mm-hmm. bet you do too. That, you know, there are times. Times I just like open up the word, like everybody else. I open up the word every morning, and there are times I go, okay, I need to do this, even if I don't feel it. But there are an awful lot of times that I'm just so excited mm-hmm. to get into the word, and so that's the way I felt then. So I grew in knowledge mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of years. And Church of Christ is big into education, mm-hmm. and so Oklahoma Christian College in those days mm-hmm. uh, was here in Oklahoma City, and I decided. Uh, because of that connection, I'll go to college here. And that's how I got to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. was going to Oklahoma Christian College. And so that was my early experience was very much, I would call it word-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely knowing the tradition of the Church of Christ, that's not surprising. Mm-hmm. Those people really do know their Bibles well. So you're reading your Bible. You're obviously committed enough to decide to change the course of your life because of this Absolutely. Yeah. What were the other ingredients that led to growth early on? If you could look at certain moments, certain practices, certain people in the first five to 10 years of being a Christian, what were the things that helped you grow the most? You know, that's an interesting question. And I don't know if you and I have talked about this very much, but I'll tell you the thing that didn't help me. I did not have intentional discipling mm-hmm. early on. I went to a Christian college, so I was fortunate to be in an environment where we were all reading our Bible. We were talking about it. I had professors. I don't know how to explain this. I was talking to some other people today about this. There were certain teachers who you could just tell they loved God, and specifically, they loved the words God had given to us. Mm -hmm. And so I picked some of that up, and that really helped me. But what I did lack was one-on-one you know, mm-hmm. somebody pouring into me in my personal practices, my sin issues. And that led later, uh, probably 10 years later, to what you'd call in the old days backsliding. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in some ways I was fortunate to be in that environment. But in other ways, it's made me passionate now about discipleship. Mm-hmm. Because I think all believers, but certainly new believers, need a guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying you need a guide to be saved. I'm, I think you need a guide to grow in the faith. Yeah, I'm, the discipleship I think is is one of the essential parts of growing in your faith, and and uh, certainly once you are a Christian, helping others grow in their faith. Um, so you're at Oklahoma Christian, and I think one of the things that surprises people if they've heard you teach before is that you didn't go to seminary. 
don't have a seminary degree, don't even have a Bible degree. Right. But being at Oklahoma Christian did give you a little bit of a foundation mm-hmm. on some biblical knowledge, some original languages study. So you've got a little bit of a foundation. You're growing in your faith, and then you jump out into the world. What did you do? How did you know what you wanted to do? You've been a Christian for maybe four years at this point. Did that play into what you wanted to do after that? You know, uh, at first I wanted to be a preacher because everybody that went to Oklahoma Christian wanted to be a preacher. But really quickly I realized, no, actually I love mathematics. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I also love languages. And there you had to take a Bible course every semester. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome because I learned a lot about the Bible. My minor is in Greek and Hebrew, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And... Then I studied mathematics. From there, I went on to OU and did a master's in mathematics. Really thought hard about pursuing a PhD. They mm-hmm. invited me to. My professor said, you should do this. But long story, short version, I went into the business world. And so I was, at that point, I was working part-time at what was then Southwestern Bell, mm-hmm. what would become at and in information systems. And I thought, hmm, this is very interesting to me, intellectually very interesting. Mm -hmm. So I ended up in a 10-year career in information systems and then shifted into sales, technical sales, and then sales, and then sales management, and then left there a few, uh, 13 years ago as a vice president of sales. Mm -hmm. So it was an interesting track that God took me on. Mm -hmm. And it seemed that I moved away from the church, but then... Here I am back at the church with a 29-year detour mm-hmm. where God equipped me with some things to get me where I am today. Yeah. So when in your career did you think, I need to get back to the church? Did you have that thought? I Well, no. I never had that thought. As a matter of fact, I was approaching my 30th year. I started while I was an undergraduate at uh, what's now AT&T. So in my 30th year as a regional vice president... Laura and I had always thought of that job as a ministry. Mm -hmm. I was teaching on Sundays, and I was trying to show what it looked like to be a Christian and be successful in a business world Mm -hmm. to the best of my abilities. When did you start start teaching? You know, that's an interesting story because uh, my wife Laura grew up at Westminster Presbyterian, Mm -hmm. and once you were born— I had been in my backsliding phase. Mm-hmm. Once you were born, Laura said, you know, we need to go to church. And I go, okay, I agree. So we went to Westminster Presbyterian, which to me was kind of a, you know, socialite church. Mm-hmm. So we went there, wasn't very interested in it, mm-hmm. but we felt like a little cold, probably needed a good Sunday school upbringing. Yeah. And uh, while we were there, uh, went to a Sunday school class a little bit and then got asked to teach it. Well, you have to remember, at this point, I'm in information systems, and I'm wearing white socks. I've got a pocket pen protector. Mm-hmm. I'm a total nerd. Yeah. I'm an introvert. I don't want to be in front of people. But I can't tell you why, but I said yes. Why did they ask you? You know, I think uh, Mike Anderson, who was the senior pastor, his daughter, Laura, for some reason, and I can't tell you what it is, thought that I would be a good teacher. Uh-huh. I have no idea why she thought that. Mm-hmm. Maybe she just wanted to get out of teaching. But she came to me, and so I began. And it began uh, really inauspiciously. The first Sunday that we were there, it was a baby, Laura, me, and one guy. Hmm. So God didn't give me confirming signs that I would be a good teacher. But Mm -hmm. anyway, I ended up teaching at Westminster and kind of realized that's my gifting. 
pretty quickly on the business side, I moved from information systems to sales. And I've told that story before. It felt like I died and gone to hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love my computers. I love that screen. I didn't have to deal with people. And I went into an environment where I had to deal with people all the time. And they were not very precise. They were not very logical. And I didn't like it. But what I didn't realize at the time was God was preparing me to learn the skills that you need mm-hmm. to deal with people. So a lot of people, when they see you teach, they think, me or anyone else, oh, you must be an extrovert. Well, not at all. Mm-hmm. But it's a skill set that you learn. Mm-hmm. And God used the business world to teach me that. Uh, teaching was easy for me because I was learning all the time. I was studying all the time. And this was just an opportunity to, you know, put t- instead of taking it all in, put some of it out. To people and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed talking to really intelligent people. I like talking to skeptical people, mm-hmm. and so it was a very white collar crowd there. You know, we had doctors, lawyers, etc., and I loved talking to them. Think about it. God brought me. He called me to Christianity first through my mind. Mm-hmm. Well, here I am talking to people who process the world mainly through their mind, mm-hmm. and so God knew what He was doing with that. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I would never have guessed it, but He seemed to. Well, I just want to pause here and say, I mean, I I know you as somebody who's a good teacher, who is confident standing on a stage, somebody who knows a lot about the Bible. And so I, I just want to say, most of the time we think about teaching as something you either have or you don't have. You're either mm-hmm. good, you're charismatic, you're knowledgeable, you have, you have a presence, or you don't. Right. And really, there's nothing further from the truth than that. People learn to be great teachers. They develop the skills. And so you were developing these skills in the business world on the one hand with your change in your job and then in the church on the other hand by being asked to teach this Sunday school class. So as you're going along and as you're beginning to develop, when did you know, how did you know, teaching really is my thing? Right. Great question, Uh, because I agree with you. I think sometimes, I do think teaching is a gift, like encouragement and helps and other things are gifts. But I also think, think about my story. So I'm a White Sox pocket protector, nerd computer programmer, introvert. I didn't even like to be in rooms with more than two or three people. Mm -hmm. So how do you go from there to being a confident teacher of the word? Mm -hmm. Well, some people would say, well, you probably, you know, become a pastor and learn to teach. I didn't. In fact, the whole time I'm learning to teach, I didn't realize I was learning to teach. I thought I was just following my career and feeding my family and doing that sort of thing. So as I moved into sales, guess what you have to do in sales to be a good salesperson? You have to learn to do presentations. You have to become comfortable with greeting and meeting and talking and making small talk. And uh, you don't have to be an extrovert, but you have to learn that set of skills. All the time I'm learning to be a good teacher, I thought I was learning to be a good salesperson. Mm. And so as I began then becoming a vice president, I talked to large groups of people and I began to motivate them. And I began to hone those skills. I began to realize I had a little talent, but I also had worked on developing that and area of skills. At this point, I have no idea of going into ministry. What I don't realize is God says, you think we're making you an executive. I'm actually making you a pastor. Hmm. And so I would say to people, God doesn't waste any of your background, whether it's my story about teaching or your story of in any other way, whatever it is you're doing, God probably has more than one use for what's going on. And like I say, in my situation, I thought he was making a salesperson 
and an executive, he knew he was making a pastor and a teacher the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cool to look back and be able to see that. What advice would you give somebody who is still looking forward, trying to develop a skill or a calling, or they're trying to be faithful in what they're doing? They don't see that end goal yet. That's a great point. Uh, One of my maxim is, uh, one of the maxims that I like to repeat to people is, when you're in a career and you feel like you're stalled, and there were times I felt like, eh, I'm going to have to do another year or two here, but I'd really like to get out of this and I'd like to move into something different. But I feel like I'm, ma- I'm just killing time in mm-hmm. this job. Build skills. On your own, build skills. Learn to be... I had goals from on different years. Here would be goals of mine. Learn to write really good emails and be a good uh, communicator mm-hmm. through written communications. Another year would be... Find opportunities to learn to be more persuasive in your oral communication. Another would be learn how to uh, make really logical and convincing presentation. That has nothing to do with your job. Mm -hmm. But I realize, well, as long as I'm here, I might as well use whatever resources I have to build skills. And I would assure you that God will not waste those skills. Mm -hmm. You just have no idea how they may be used in the future but God will bring them into use at some point. So be industrious, be faithful, use the opportunities you have, and trust God to bring them to fruition at mm-hmm. some point. See, to fast forward a little bit, you are in a great position to have basically an entire career in business, to learn all kinds of different things, do all kinds of different jobs, and at some point you started feeling like, I need to go into ministry. Well, what was that process like? Well, it's interesting because my wife, Laura, and I had talked about this. By this time, I'm doing well in business, and I can stay there as long as I want, but I also have a teaching career, so to speak. In other words, I've been teaching for a long time. And we thought, you know, I think this ministry at AT AT&T is running its course. I'm not unhappy. In fact, when I left, I was not unhappy. I was very sad to leave the people I worked with. I liked my job. But I felt like, you know, there's, I don't know how to describe this. It's almost like the Holy Spirit nudging you. And this happened over a period of two years. It wasn't I woke up one morning. I just felt nudged that, and I began to talk to Laura. You know, I'm feeling like maybe at some point this is about to run its course, and maybe God's going to bring the next assignment. And she agreed. She's very faithful. And we thought, well, why don't I try to do a teaching ministry? Why don't mm-hmm. I travel and speak? right? Do whatever. Let's take a chance on that and let's see if God will bless it. So we had begun to think about doing that. Well, I had about a year left before some of my uh, executive uh, options would vest. And so I thought, okay, about a year from now, would be a great time to go. And uh, in that time period, I got an offer to go work at a church and it was very persuasive. And I thought, well, no, I really don't want to work at a church. But I said I'd pray about it. So I did. Mm -hmm. Began to pray about it. And began to realize, and again, let's go back to me, I'm rational. So Mm -hmm. I began to think about it. And I realized the skills that I had, I'd only been trained to do two things, to teach and to lead organizations. And that's exactly what I was being asked to do at this church. And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I'm supposed to do this. Mm -hmm. So Laura and I talked it through, and uh, we talked to some people around us. But then we just prayed and said, God, if this is really what you've brought, Mm -hmm. it's not what we had in mind. But if it's what you brought, would you make it work out? 
In other words, uh, I did strand some options. I did strand some money, but it didn't bankrupt us. Mm -hmm. And God kind of knocked down a few hurdles. It was not easy to leave. Uh, I was doing well. They wanted to keep me. But God intervened, it seemed like, and things fell into place. So I didn't say no. I just said, God, maybe it's not yet. And God said, no, it is now. Mm -hmm. And he kind of removed the hurdles. And we basically looked at each other and said, I believe this is the next assignment God has for us. And whether or not it's what I had in mind, I think it's what we're supposed to go do. Mm -hmm. And so for me anyway, it wasn't an emotional epiphany. It wasn't a dream from God. It was kind of a get counseling from people around me. Could I do this well? Is this a good fit? And then it was, God, will you work the circumstances out so that it's enough for us to make it? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how that fits with other people's experience, but for me, I kept expecting God to bring another assignment as opposed to, God, I expect you to fulfill my deepest dreams and desires for what I want mm -hmm. to do. So to me, that's part of being faithful, as Terry wanted to be a traveling teacher. Mm -hmm. And God said, but I'm opening this door. And the question is, are you willing to go do this? Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's just kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I think that's one of the questions that probably most of us have at many different seasons. Sometimes you, you ask it on a daily basis of how do I know what it is that God really wants me to do? Or what? which of these two options should I choose? Which one is the right option? Which one is the one that God is leading me to versus the one that maybe is a test or maybe it's right. not the right option or maybe there's something about it that's not going to bring as much glory to God or something like that. It's very difficult to know what God actually wants for you. Mm -hmm. And so you're thinking through that next assignment, even if it doesn't match up to everything you've wanted or everything you've desired, what are the signs that you look for in the next assignment? Well, the big thing in this one, that's a great question, is I looked and said, what has God seemed to prepared me for? That's the first time I realized, you know what? Maybe all that business stuff and everything that's happened to me, maybe God was actually preparing me to do something else. And I realized, well, what has he been teaching me? Well, at AT&T, I learned to lead large organizations. And on the side, so to speak, mm -hmm. I learned to become a teacher. And that is exactly what this organization, this church said, this is what we need, are these two things. And I thought, well, you know what? Looking back, these are the very two things God has been preparing me to do. Now, was he preparing me to do them there in that place? Well, I don't know. But here's the second part. First part is, what has God prepared you for? Mm -hmm. If they'd come to me and said, we need a financial, chief financial officer, I'd say, well, you may need that, but... Actually, God really hasn't prepared me for that. Mm -hmm. So one was preparation. The second was this, is I have this deep-seated feeling that God is able to bless even our mistakes. Sometimes we think there's only one thing God has for us. Mm -hmm. So here you have two job opportunities, and you're like, oh, no, what if I choose the one that God didn't choose? It's like door number one is God's blessing. Door number two is, oh, sorry, that's not the one he had in mind. Mm -hmm. It causes us a lot of anxiety. I have the feeling that, you know what, a lot of times if God doesn't give you a clear choice, you know what it means, in my opinion? God says, I can bless either one of these. I am sovereign, and I can work all, either one of these, for good in my plan. Mm -hmm. So I felt like the combination of using our reason and good counsel with the knowledge that if God doesn't make a clear choice for you, even if you make a mistake, 
or even if you choose the less wise choice, he's saying, I'm sovereign, I'm God, I'll bless that. And so it took a lot of the anxiety out of it. Again, mm-hmm. we're called to be faithful. We're not called to be, quote, successful. Mm-hmm. If you let go of the idea that, oh, I better make the right choice or God's plan won't work out. You know, none of us really think that. But honestly, we get anxious about that, don't we? And so my thought was, you know, God, I'll do my very best. But Lord, if I fail, uh, bless that. Mm-hmm. And he, he can, and he did. Well, now you've had a, a second career almost. I mean, 13 years into doing ministry now, looking back, what's what's been the biggest thing that's either propelled or the biggest obstacle to your growth as a believer now in your second career that just happens to be in ministry? Yeah, that's a great point. Well, first of all, I would look back and confirm and say that God gave me the two skills that have been the most useful in what I am doing. He was He was right to prepare me in that way. But I will say this on a spiritual uh, side. I remember Tim Keller wrote, he said, becoming a pastor will either make you a better Christian or a worse Christian. It won't leave you the same. And that mm-hmm. surprised me. It surprised me because he said being a pastor could make you a worse Christian. And I have come to realize how true that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, because being a pastor is, uh, in, in some ways, brings more opportunity for disillusionment. And I think if you aren't very careful to be in the Word and keep the fire and the flame of your love for God alive, you could quickly become jaded. So I have seen the inside of that, and I think Keller's very wise in saying that. So I think for pastors, maybe even more than anyone else, it's desperately important to have that relationship with Christ in prayer, that relationship with God through the Word. Mm -hmm. When I have not done that well, I have not been a good pastor. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's interesting to think back through what God's done in your life. He, you know, draws you to himself through the life of the mind. He provides the right people, the right things at the right time. When you're, you know, finishing high school and you become a believer, you go to school, you grow through business, you get into the church, your growth has been very centered around God leading you and drawing you through knowledge. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's put that to good use now as as a teacher. He's using the years of knowledge that you have so that you can help people grow mm-hmm. in their faith. And that just seems like a theme that he's put in your life, that that's one of the ways that he's going to grow you. That's one of the ways that he's going to develop uh-huh. you. How do you sense that that's continuing to go on in your life now? That's a great question. The next generation in our family, you and your brothers, uh, you guys are different people, obviously. And one of the things you learn as a parent is you're not trying to change the kind of tree that your kid is. You're just trying to make them a healthy tree. Mm-hmm. If they're, God has wired them to be an oak tree, you want them to be a healthy oak tree or an elm tree or whatever. But all three of you have are very, very bright, and that has continued to encourage and push me. One of the great things for me has been to interact with you, mm-hmm. because now you know you've just finally gotten to where you're really interesting, Cole. Uh, <laughs> you know, you just know a lot, and it's yeah, great it to talk to you. And yeah, it's exactly. And it uh, you know it's kind of iron sharpening iron. And so I found that I need to develop in the emotional side. Mm-hmm. I don't stunt that growth. 
but honestly, God is more likely to use the intellectual side, and he's called mm-hmm. me to speak to people in that way. And so I still grow mainly through learning, but the key is make sure that everything that goes in your head makes that journey down to your heart, mm-hmm. because if it doesn't, it'll die and it'll be sterile. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, it's still knowledge, but I'm more passionate now than I've ever been that knowledge without internalizing it and putting it into practice in my life is is not useful. Mm-hmm. You know, last year I read, we talked about this a little bit on the book, books podcast we did a few weeks ago. Last year I read a book called God Took Me By The Hand that is Jerry Bridges' autobiography. Mm. And the theme of the book is basically when you look at it ahead of time, like when you look at it uh, down the road, you never really know what God's doing. But when you look back, you can see several key moments mm-hmm. where he says, God takes you by the hand and, and leads you exactly where he needs mm-hmm. you. And a lot of times it doesn't make sense in the moment. And if God would show you what it's going to look like in five years, you'd totally go with it. Right. Um, but sometimes if he'd show you what it looks like one year from now, you wouldn't. And exactly. I think there's several moments like that in your life as we've, as we've talked through it. There's some moments where you would never have guessed what God had in mind. But he was faithful in the end. Right. And you trust that there are still things like that, that you learn those mm-hmm. lessons. And then that doesn't make it any easier to obey sometimes in the present, even though you can look back on the past and be assured that God really does know what he's doing with you and with your story. But, um, you know, we're all works in progress, even though we've we've come a long way. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's still things that God's going to do in you and through you. And, mm-hmm. Certainly, as you mentioned, he's continuing to grow you in the life of the mind, but teaching you all kinds of different things Yeah. Uh, now through your family, through your job, through the ministry that you have. Um, if you're to look back at one portion of your life, one season of your life and say, maybe that was that was probably the moment that I think back the most on, I'm, I'm most thankful for, it has the biggest impact on my ministry now. What, what do you think that would be? Boy, that's a tough question. I mean, obviously family. My wife, Laura, is has been the biggest influence in my life, honestly. I mean, just her influence on me, her uh, the fact that we are very different. I'm a hillbilly from Kentucky, and she's uh, actually a civilized woman. You know, I mean, the, and honestly, the spouse, your spouse has a huge influence. And by the way, I'll speak to the men for a minute. I know there are women listening to this too, but I can really just speak to the men. Don't ever underestimate the... Uh, the power that you have to encourage your wife. I know it doesn't seem that way, but as much as she has the power to shape you, you have the power to shape her. And I would say, don't think of shaping her as making sure she thinks right and she acts right. Your words weigh more than anybody else's words. And don't ever kid yourself that they don't. Never miss an opportunity to to encourage your spouse. And my wife's done that for me. And so she has been the biggest influence in me. If you'd seen me uh, 30 years ago and seen that, you know, computer programmer and look at me today and you'd go, oh, my goodness, I'm far from perfect. But good heavens, who took the hillbilly and taught him how to, you know, dress properly. Mm -hmm. Well, all of that is my wife. But I'll tell you one other thing that happened. One of the more pivotal things that I could see God now looking back is when I left the world of computer science and I went into sales and I I really hated it for two Mm -hmm. years. I thought about leaving the company. I thought about a lot of things. And then I realized, well, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to learn how to do this. 
God put me in a desert time, and it was truly a desert time. Mm-hmm. And at the other side of it, he brought me out a different person. Honestly, he, he, I mean, you could argue, am I different? Was it always there? But the point is, he had, to, I would never have left Egypt mm-hmm. of being a computer programmer had he not taken me through the desert so that I could become really where I am today. Right. Without that horrible experience, I would not be on this trajectory. I couldn't see it at the time, but looking back, and that's why I say faith is often formed in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. When I look back, now I can say, you know what, I hated it, but God, thank you. It was what needed to happen. And so now when I face hard times, I go, you know, I don't see it, Lord, but you have done this before, mm-hmm. and I trust you. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.